Welcome to the first episode of DinoMine, a podcast about the mining industry for the mining industry. I'm your host, Nicole Doucette. I've had firsthand experience of how tough it is to be a woman in mining. Of course, before working in the industry, I did know it was male-dominated. But nothing really prepared me for the reality of being a woman in the field. No one warned me about things like not being able to use a washroom while working underground or some of the inappropriate comments I'd receive at work. At first, I thought maybe I was the only one experiencing some of these things. But as I spoke to more and more women, I realized a lot of us were having the same experiences. Right now in the Canadian mining industry, we're sitting at about 17% women. And research has shown that women are more likely to leave the mining industry than men. Neither of those statistics are probably surprising to you. We have organizations like Women in Mining and Women Who Rock who exist to help combat some of these issues, and both large and small mining companies have set their own diversity goals for the future. But it's one thing to set goals. It's another to achieve them. As an industry, we are struggling to attract and retain talented women. Some of my own female classmates who started in the industry only a few years ago have already left. We don't want this to keep happening. I interviewed a few women about their experiences in industry, and what emerged was that one way we can keep women in the industry is by making sure that working environments are comfortable for them, and that requires understanding what an uncomfortable environment might be. One of the women I spoke to was Katrina, a mid-career geological engineer who's been working in the industry for over 15 years. And I can tell you, I don't know how many men will say that they've ever gone into a meeting at work where they're one man in a room of 25 people. But that's my constant norm. She had a really great perspective on why we should be sharing stories about women in mining. I, I always think it comes down to education. like, And that's one of the reasons I always continuously share my stories with the men I call the allies, right? Because the allies a lot of times don't realize this is still going on. So I feel like it's my duty to kind of wake, waken them up so that they can advocate for the women working underneath them. Every single one of those women has a story. And it probably has multiple stories. And a lot of them are just, I could sort of see this, oh, like I never thought to do that. I never thought to ask them. So I think a biggest issue is uh, education, that this is still an ongoing problem. Everyone wants to think, oh, it's 2018 and this doesn't happen anymore and it's all good. I don't work in mining anymore, but many of my classmates and friends still do. They've told me their stories over beers or coffee. And of course, I heard many more stories when I interviewed women for this podcast. One thing in particular came up again and again. And, and there needs to be acknowledgement around the isolation of people in camps where people that would never do certain things when they're in civilization and amongst, you know, mixed company, whatever, for some reason you get them in the middle of nowhere and it's like all social convention goes out the window. So I think there needs to be some conversations around, you know, camp's not this isolated spot where nothing you do there affects your everyday life because that is not true. One woman who spent a lot of time in isolated exploration camps was Anne. Aside from missing the nature of fieldwork, I don't really uh, want to return to that lifestyle and uh, sort of working life situation. Anne was an exploration geologist until 2014. That year, she quit fieldwork. And then what I had a lot of uh, sort of negative experiences in the industry with were people in the trades. I don't think this is a paint the whole trades industry horribly, but just through my experience, my individual interactions with uh, some people, uh, so anyone on drill teams, mostly, um, we're, we're on the more negative side. So just 
feeling like I was a lot, uh, I was being targeted a bit or feeling different. So, um, I also thought like as a female on a male dominated work site, when you're in the middle of the Arctic, say, um, you certainly stand out. And I found that very uncomfortable. After Anne left the industry, she wrote an article about some of the experiences she had while working in remote exploration camps. Like I remember coming back from the field for the day and, and walking, you know, the 100 meters or 70 meters from uh, the entrance hallway to the cafeteria for dinner. And I just remember multiple times, like, my I would be asked how my day was by these, uh, I don't know, f- anywhere from 30 to 50-year-old men who I had never who I don't ever remember seeing prior to this, and I've never talked to, uh, and they would ask me how my day was, but I would actually, I'd be walking alongside male coworkers, so they'd be right beside me, and they wouldn't be asked how their day was. Uh, And so, like, maybe two to three times uh, before I even got in line, or by the time I got in line for dinner, you get asked that, and it was just, uh, you know, you just start to question, like, why, why me, why am I, why the only one being asked how my day was like, why can't they just ask the guys too? (laughs) I don't get it. So it just, and then, so, and then just passing that and experiencing that over and over again, um, was just becoming a little bit more uncomfortable. It might be hard to understand why something as benign as being asked how your day is could be harassment, but it's about context. This is what Anne says about it in her article. You may be thinking that it's nice to be asked how your day is going and that the men meant no harm at all by asking me how my day was. This may or may not be true. Even assuming that each of these interactions was innocent, the end result of it was that it made me feel like a target. I was being singled out and noticed by men whom I've never actually met, which is uncomfortable when you're sleeping and living in very close confines. To me, this comes down to Anne being treated differently by her peers just because of her gender. Her male coworkers were not being treated the same way she was, and that does make you feel like a target, even if that was not the intention. Anne shares another experience of hers. When she went to take a shower in an area of the camp that was in the same area as the kitchen, the female shower was taken in the woman's dry, so she went into the men's dry as it was the middle of the day and the camp was basically empty. She said it was a pretty normal thing for women on the camp to do. I remember as I walked in and like had my towel and everything, so it was pretty obvious I was going to have a shower, I noticed that one of the night drillers was awake in the kitchen and he was sitting at a table where he could see me kind of walk to the showers and and I like right away I was just like oh crap like why did he have to be there what's happening why <laughs> did he have to see me uh going to the shower and just being like okay whatever like I didn't care about it that much uh but it did startle me a bit and then when I was in the shower and when I was or like had my shower I was finishing drying up and I just remember hearing rustling outside the stall I was just very confused and um, kind of put it together that the driller probably was right outside my shower because I could hear this noise pretty close and it's pretty quiet otherwise. Uh, And already, again, just felt pretty claustrophobic, um, just very uncomfortable. And I just left the shower as quickly as I could with my head, like, buried in my gear and just didn't even look at didn't even didn't say anything to him uh, I didn't even want to look at him or look up but I I mean I saw him anyways and so he had moved from the kitchen to like two feet outside my shower uh, which I also had mentioned in the article like I don't understand why he did that because uh, 
the whole drive was open. The whole kitchen was open. Nobody else was around. There was no need for him to move. Like, why did he move? Why did he have to move during my shower? <laughs> like, it just, I felt so, yeah, just so claustrophobic. Like, he just took the space. He, I just felt like he took my space. Um, and, and it took me a while to process how I really felt about that, too. So I think that's one of the issues that uh, came up a lot. A lot of the comments in the article, too, were talking about how women just need to speak up more and talk more and are like call these guys out right away whenever stuff happens and um I just found that that's not my personality like I'm not as quick-witted maybe as I need to be to do that um so or it's you know it's I feel like this happens to everyone you're in an argument and the argument's done and 10 minutes later you leave and you're like oh I had the perfect comeback and and I found that that's what happened with me a lot is I was in a situation and uh that I could have said something about there, but it took me a while to process how uncomfortable it really made me feel. And and initially too, you are just questioning like, okay, is, wait, did did I hear that right? Did I did I take that right? Like, was that and dig at me or was that just a comment? And then you kind of process it and 15, 20 minutes later, you're like, oh yeah, okay. I am not uh, very happy with this situation. And it's really hard to come back uh, from that and call someone out for it because at the same time I think we're all like a lot of women who do experience that um yeah we're just we just think we have to be quiet because otherwise if you speak up you'll be treated different or uh they can just blow it off so even this guy waiting outside my shower I did end up reporting it to my uh boss um and not in a sense I guess I too was just like well I don't know what can be done about this like how what can I do? Like, I can't, you can a ask him, like, oh, why did you do that? And he could be like, well, I just wanted to sit somewhere else. Anne has one last story for us. Someone had put um, <clears throat> magnets uh, around the camp. So presumably they probably did it at nighttime. Uh, but I had woken up at 530 in the morning. And that morning in particular, I woke up and just like opened the kitchen door or the door to the kitchen building. And there's just like a, a magnet with a female in uh, a bikini on it I was like ah oh, come on really like I don't need this <laughs> and I don't know I think I left that one but then I just noticed that they were all over can't or they were all over the building um, and so I maybe found like five or six that were obviously put in plain sight um, and so at this point when these magnets were put up I was just I had re I was it was near from when I actually finally did quit field, field work and I was just tired of constantly having to be on guard and so this was just almost maybe one of the last straws where I was just like, I'm not waking up at 530 in the morning and going to work and seeing this. And like you already feel objectified or you already feel different for being female. And just to wake up and have these magnets everywhere, you're just like, oh, well, there you go. Like, it's just a, like females, like you just feel like we're a joke. Uh, you know, we shouldn't be taken seriously. As we know, Anne ended up quitting field work, though she's still an advocate for change within the industry. Another woman I spoke to was Madeline. She also worked in remote camps in northern Canada as an exploration geologist. So there's a couple key moments that come to mind when I, I think about my time working mostly up north uh, in the territories. Madeline is not her real name. Some of the women I spoke to didn't want to be identified because they were worried it might impact their career. We all know how small mining is as an industry. I think the fact that they were scared to be identified is pretty meaningful in itself. Here are some of Madeline's stories. 
It was my, my very first project. Uh, so my very first job out of university. And I was flown into Yellowknife. And it was, I think, morning. And then flown straight up to camp. And so to the exploration site. And uh, was given a tour. And basically around lunchtime, I think, I was sitting in the cafeteria. And my supervisor uh, sits across from me and doesn't ask me about uh, my past work experience or anything like that. Asks me what my relationship status is because just many people in camp apparently have been asking him about that. And I was, I was honest and said that I was single, even though the, the question seemed very inappropriate. Um, Anyways, and from that moment on, I became part of the rumor mill, basically. And um, people in their stories had me hooking up with just basically everyone on site. Um, so if I ever spoke to someone or smiled or something, I was obviously sleeping with them at some point. And um, <clears throat> what's really funny about these stories, actually, is that I was rumors as well. So I heard those stories about other girls. And I mean, the stories about girls on camp are always the same. They're either stuck up and, you know, they've got a real stick up their arse or they're just complete and total sluts. So there didn't seem to be much in between. Um, you know, women can't be just like a person, you know. And I got just a ton of nicknames uh, like camp prom queen and arctic barbie though the nicknames were unpleasant madeline said she could handle it but other things happened that really impacted her like i was stuck up on site once and um the drill was was shut down and so the driller and the helper came in the little core shack of mine and you know, we were just kind of talking and then the driller was like, okay, I'm going to take a nap. And he kind of lied down on the floor to take a nap. And then the helper like turned on his laptop and started watching like a porn. <laughs> I was like, this is technically my office. <laughs> like you need to turn that off. And so then that was kind of my transition from total slut to, uh, like stick in the mud <laughs> kind of character. Um, which honestly I was fine with, like get out of my core sack. Another story Madeline shares is about a porta potty. So if you don't like talking about toilet stuff, you should turn off the podcast now. Okay. Bathroom situations on site have been a point of contention for a lot of women in the mining industry, myself included. So much so that the company Covergals was founded by Alicia Woods, a miner turned designer. Her coveralls are designed to fit women with smaller sizes available than traditional coveralls and a flap so we can use porta potties on site. So from my own experience, I remember working underground and needing to use the washroom. But to take off my coveralls, you first have to take off your tool belt that has the battery pack for your lamp. So then you also have to take off your lamp. So you have to take off your hard hat and then you have to take off the coveralls and it all just gets really complicated. The porta potty was also not in that section of the mine. It was in another section of the mine, and it was far enough away that you actually had to get a ride over there. And of course, everyone was busy doing surveying or ventilation, etc., so you couldn't really get a ride without inconveniencing someone. The men I was with just unzipped their pants and peed wherever they wanted. 
So for me, I actually would drink almost no water for the entire time before and while I was underground, so I wouldn't have to use the washroom. And as you know, working mines are hot. It was pretty terrible. Madeline's experience is similar, but a bit different. I had asked for um, a porta potty or, or something, and it was basically handed a bucket <laughs> and sent on my way. And it was, it was awful because I was in the tundra and you had to walk for like two miles before you were out of sight, honestly. <laughs> and it was, you know, bear season. So it wasn't really something I wanted to do. So you just had to kind of crouch behind your core shack or do it in a bucket <laughs> in this teeny tiny room. It was kind of demoralizing. Another woman I spoke to didn't want her name or voice used, but she had very similar experiences to Madeline. So let's call her Jessica. Jessica also worked in small towns and on sites as an exploration geologist. One story she shared with me. I was the only girl in an office of about 15 people. There was one guy in the office who would walk past me, and every time he'd walk past me, he'd put his hands on my shoulders. And he always had to touch me in some way as he was walking past me. It got to the point where even the guys would say, do you have to touch her every time? And I'd be like pressed up against the wall saying, go away. And he got the hint eventually, but it took several months of please don't do that for him to actually stop touching me. But Jessica's first bad experience was actually not on site. It was in university. Here's another story she shared with me. I was studying my first degree at university. I was doing my honors in geology and he was my main supervisor and it was in a fairly specialist area that I was hoping to move into once I finished my honors degree. I knew he would be very influential in that career path if I could get into that field. So it was probably about a half an hour before I was about to give my first presentation. I was sitting in his office reviewing my presentation while going through what I'm about to say, my slides, etc. Out of the blue, he turns to me and says, well, why are you studying geology anyways? And why are you doing your honors? You could probably earn more money on your back. Now, obviously, Jessica was shocked by this, but she didn't want to report it because she knew her career ambitions would be gone since he was so influential in that particular area. So she ended up avoiding him for the majority of her honors year. And because of that, she said her honors year was basically a waste. Now, Jessica, Madeline, and Anne have all left exploration geology. But let's get back to Katrina, who, if you remember, was the first woman who spoke on the podcast. She had her own bad experiences on remote work sites. I would say the biggest thing has sort of been the general lack of respect towards me as a as a woman in these work sites. Um, throughout my career, I've often had my my body commented on. I've had people put their hands on me. Um, I've been groped on the job. I've had numerous comments made about uh, my appearance, uh, about my chest, uh, various things like that. And just like Jessica, the first bad experience she had was actually not in the field. So actually, I guess my very, very sort of first experience with it was on actually 9-11. At the time I was working for a consulting company, it was in their Calgary office. Uh, So I was in a hotel and of course, like everybody else, you know, very... Uh, emotional about the events of the day and you know nobody really wanted to be alone so there was a bunch of business travelers in this bar and and restaurant at the hotel and I ended up striking up a conversation with an older man sitting next to me he was I would say probably well into his 70s and turned out he was a geologist so this was the first time ever in my life that I had been connecting on a professional level with someone that I thought was looking at me as a colleague so when he suggested we go for dinner of course I was like wow this is great plus you know potentially thinking wow as a junior employee I might be bringing in a client which you know was the first time I'd ever schmoozed somebody that like that so we went out for dinner we had a great dinner he told me about his grandkids his family his experiences as a geologist 
And then being the naive, stupid one I am, as we got back to the hotel, he asked me if I really wanted if I wanted to see his letter that he had gotten for being part of the Order of Canada. Uh, or maybe it was the British Order. I can't remember at the time. And my mother was a huge uh, royal fan. So to me, this was really exciting. So it must have been the British Order. And so I'm just, sure, naively, <laughs> not thinking anything of it, go up to his hotel room with him with full intent of this is a nice man. He's grandfatherly. You know, we he's talking to me like a mentor. What a great opportunity. And sure enough, when I got up there, there was the, all of a sudden the back rub started to happen. And he said to me, well, with a nickname like Cat, do you purr? And I just froze and then I ran out of the room and immediately phoned my mom when I got back to my hotel room and burst into tears. And so I'd say that was probably the first experience I had where I felt like the rug had kind of been pulled underneath me. But then, of course, I'm beating myself up. How stupid am I to have gone in to a man's hotel room that I didn't know? Like, you know, all of those same things that women are are blamed for when these circumstances happen. As we've learned from Jessica and Katrina's stories, uncomfortable experiences are not just limited to remote camps. They happen in offices, at networking events, universities, training, basically anywhere. For me, one of the most disheartening experiences I had was when a professor was explaining to our class the difference between two types of fans for underground ventilation. We were looking at fan curve diagrams, and he referred to one fan as the woman fan because the graph line was curvy and because it was sensitive and not good under pressure. He called the other fan the man fan because it was robust and good under pressure. But I do have good news. Katrina's story does have a happy ending. And now I'm currently with a, an employer that I feel has actually uh, values women. When I look around in the offices in the South, again, it's a small company. There's only a couple of us in town. Um, but in the in overall, we're a very large company. And, and even in the Edmonton offices, I see senior women in senior management roles. I see women managing large projects. I see the company actually walking the talk. So for the first time in almost 12 years, I actually feel supported and that I have a company that values my skill sets and my strengths. And she's working on advocating for women in the profession. A long time ago, I realized that I had nothing left to lose. I'd already gone through enough that I was like, nothing these companies can do to me when I come back and tell them my story is in any way comparable to being in a camp for three weeks, feeling so utterly alone all the time. So I feel like, yeah, you know, it almost like you have to kind of sometimes hit like rock bottom. I don't know if that's the right term for it, but I feel like I have nothing left to lose. I'm able to speak up and use my voice. I do it for all the other women that aren't comfortable doing that. And I do it for the little girls. Because for me, I grew up in the 80s. The feminist revolution was over. I was told everything was equal, that it was against the law to discriminate. Like I was, you know, I am woman, hear me roar. And I was going to go out there and prove myself as a woman in engineering. But when I got into the field and I started to work, it was like the rug had been pulled out from underneath me. And it was only until I became in my late 30s, early 40s that I found my voice. And the biggest thing for me is I don't want the next generation of girls not finding their voices until they're 40. So the question is, how do we make sure women have their voices when they're entering or working in mining? Michelle has an idea of where to start. She's a gay black Nigerian woman, and she's also a metallurgical engineer. In general, I feel as though my experience has actually been pretty positive. On my end, anyway, my experience, what has been more the most not problematic, but a bit more tricky to, nav to, to navigate is like the, the gay side of things, the queer side of things, right? As a woman, on average, I'm like the only woman in the room or one of two or three in the room. 
it's a lot easier to have that conversation around being a woman in mining as opposed to like being a person of color in mining or being um, a queer, queer identifying person in mining, right? Michelle mentions that even if a workplace is made safe for women, it's still essentially an unsafe place for her. Because what about people of color or what about LGBTQ plus people, which are personally categories that she also falls into? I asked her what she thought the right approach would be. And this is what she said. Ultimately, diversity and inclusion comes down to respect, right? That's all it is. It's all about respect. And so if you target any initiative that you're trying to to enforce around that conversation, around the conversation of respect, I don't see why you would have to necessarily tailor, at least on a corporate um, and, and um, I guess, workplace level, I don't see why you have to target initiatives to any one group. Um, of course, then you have specific difficulties that are faced by each group. Um, but I think the conversation as a whole can revolve around one of respect. And then you can trickle down and say, okay, what does that look like? What does a respectful workplace look like? And that's when you open the conversation to people from every group, like women, visible minorities, um, people with disabilities. And you get feedback from them. Okay, like to me, respect looks like this. For example, I could say, well, respect looks like on my first day of work, someone doesn't ask me about a husband and rather ask, would ask about a partner and leave it open-ended. And then the person with um, disabilities could say, well, to me, respect is having a ramp in front, in front of a building rather than have stairs all over, you know. And then the person of color can, everyone can kind of give their interpretation of respect. And then as a whole, as a corporate environment, as a one workplace, we can have a conversation about, okay, this is how I understand respect. This is how other people understand respect and go forward with implementing it that way. We all know mining is going to be around for a really long time. Strategically and ethically, it's in our best interest to make sure we're creating an environment where anyone can thrive, regardless of their race, sexual orientation, or gender. Lots of research is coming out these days about the link between high diversity and company financial outperformance. So by cultivating the diversity of our sector, we're empowering the entire industry to become stronger in the future. These topics are tough because there's a lot to unpack. It can be overwhelming, and I know it is for me anytime I think about it. A lot of these stories that were shared with you today may not seem like big deals by themselves, but these are just one of many stories that each of these women have. And every time things like this keep happening, it just makes you feel like you don't belong. And I think that's one of the main reasons that women tend to leave the industry or move into adjacent fields. So where do we begin? How do we start changing this? As Michelle touched on, often it's starting with a simple conversation and it's all about respect. And to paraphrase Katrina, every person has a story. So if you're struggling to start conversations about diversity with your colleagues at your company, just start by asking your colleagues what respect means to them. Respect in the workplace has different meanings for different people. Or ask the women on your team what their experiences have been. What's made them uncomfortable? Make sure to listen. And if you see something inappropriate happening at work, take the person aside and explain to them what was wrong with that interaction. Small actions like these culminate in a very powerful way. 
They let women and marginalized groups know that they are supported and not alone. Those of us within the industry are the ones who have the responsibility to change it for the better. All of the challenges we face in mining are not going away, and no one else is going to change it for us. If you'd like to share your own story about being a woman in mining, please feel free to post on social media with the hashtag DinoMine. That's D-Y-N-O-M-I-N-E. Thank you so much to the women who shared their stories with me. This podcast could not have happened without you. Another big thanks to Mary Halton and Claire Mahoney for editorial guidance. Theme music is Transmutation by Kara Square under Creative Commons Attribution 3.0 Unported License. No changes have been made. Thank you.